Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly Saturday to you. Goodly Saturday, Andrew. How are you today? I'm all right. I think this is the first time that we have ever recorded an Arscast Extra on a Saturday. Now, maybe one of our listeners would be able to correct us on that, but I do not remember ever doing it on a on a Saturday before. The only the only time I might think it could have been would be if we'd played if Boxing Day, say, had fallen on a Friday. Yeah. And we'd done an immediate one or a New Year's Day game on a Friday and we thought, oh, let's do one the following mm. day. But it's definitely unconventional. It certainly is. And it's, you know, obviously because of your your uh, recording or your um, filming commitments, people might think, you know, horrible histories and all that. But, you know, I don't want to give anything away. But, you know, your role in the new Wes Anderson movie, I think, is going to it's going to blow people away like you're a whimsy coffee shop owner in Knightsbridge seeking the perfect cinnamon bun with a cast mm. of characters. Owen Wilson is a lovable cabbie. Natalie Portman. She's always in his films, isn't she? They're great guys. Yeah. We're getting on like a house and fire. She's like a food blogger who's lost the sense of taste. So it's yeah, all very... Yeah, that's it. But uh, through me and my magical cinnamon bun yeah. experiments... She rediscovers uh, her love of pastry. Yeah. It's, it's uh, actually, I mean, it's going to win all the awards. And it's very colourful as well, I believe. Um, oh. With Wes, Wes Anderson. You know how it is. Um, <laughs> yes. No, working on a Sunday. Can you believe it? Sunday and a Monday. Hence recording on a Saturday. That's it. That's it. And don't they know that the World Cup knockout group stage, knockout stages, round of 16, what's it called? The knockout stages. They're on. Yeah. They're happening. As we talk, they are happening. It's currently Netherlands 1, USA 0. I don't know if you saw the goal, did you? No, I heard it was a good goal. It was. A 20 pass move. It was oh, a very nice passing move by the Netherlands. I'm not sure that the tracking from midfield from the USA was as good as it has been in this tournament because I think they've been pretty strong in midfield. But Memphis Depay, now the second. Highest goal scorer in Dutch history. There's definitely something going on, isn't there, with like a, modern players are scoring a lot more international goals. You know, we spoke about Olivier mm. Giroud at, at length last week and how Mbappe was sort of already nearly catching him up. Harry Kane is going to be England's top goal scorer of all time, almost certainly. Um, I, it, there must be a lot more games it feels like there's a lot more games so i mean you know there's a 32 team world cup now and the thing of extending it to 48 for the next one or is it the one after that i mean i don't know about that but you know all these nations league games um i guess there are certain fixtures you know particularly in european football without 
wishing to um, demean any of our European neighbours and friends. But, you know, there are certain games where an element of stat padding could be applied, couldn't it? Like if you're the Netherlands, for example, and you play Andorra, and you win 13-0, and you're Memphis Depay, and you score six goals or whatever. I'm not saying that's happened, but, you know, it's certainly possible that the amount of goals you score isn't necessarily reflective of your ability as a player or what you have achieved um, as a footballer. No, that's true. We need to weight the goals, really. I think a goal in the Nations League should count for about half a goal, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, depending on the opposition. I mean, you could play Germany in the Nations League, but um, yeah, I don't know how you do that in in terms of the opposition and the quality of the opposition without offending everyone. Didn't doesn't the European Golden Shoe uh, weight yeah. goals in that way? I think so. I seem to remember that before, but I don't quite really. Um, I, I haven't heard of the Golden Shoe for a long time now. No. But I, I, I seem to recall that it used to have some sort of waiting for quality mm. of league. Whether or not that's still the case, uh, I do not know. But, um, yes, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, apparently the United States were had started the game pretty well. Then, I saw a chance. The goalkeeper made a save, all right. Uh, could have been from Pulisic. Uh, I was preparing for the podcast, though, you know, so I was only keeping half an eye on it because as, sure. a, as a professional, diligent. I was being diligent and, and getting the questions and all those kinds of things. Um, well, where should we begin, Andrew? I mean, there's been a lot going on. There has the been a lot going on. Beyond it. I mean, did, did you see, uh, let's start with some Arsenal news. Did you see the report of our first friendly of the midwinter break? I, <laughs> I just saw that before we were starting to record, yeah, that we have been beaten 4-2 by Watford. Uh, was it at London Colney or was it at uh, Watford? No, it was at London Colney. And we, we were beaten 4-2, and I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. Why do you think that's great, Andrew? I think it's great because I remember... Was it this time last year or I, anyway? I don't remember exactly when, but it was one of those where we played maybe Brentford. Brentford. It's usually Brentford, yeah, Brentford or Leighton Orient. Anyway, so and we got beaten, and everyone went, "Ah, oh, Jesus, what, this fucking what, what's going on here?" And then you know, it turns out that these friendly games don't actually mean shit, and when the real football uh, was on, we were good. So I'm glad that we are not lulling anyone into any kind of you know, sense that, oh, look, we've beaten Watford 6-1. You know, uh, this this, uh, is just going to be, we're going to pick up where we left off. I think we need this, you know, just Mm. to keep us grounded. Top of the table, everything else. But, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to keep your, keep your uh, feet on the ground, make sure that nobody's getting carried away with themselves. So I'm only sorry it wasn't like 4-0 rather than (laughs) 4-2. I think the game did swing on uh, a number of half-time changes. I mean, the starting 11 Arsenal picks was pretty strong. Hein, Cedric, Holding, Gabriel, Tierney, Elneny, Laconga, Odegaard, Nelson, Marquinhos and Ketia. Mm. Uh, I think goals from Marquinhos and Ketia had Arsenal in a, a 2-1 lead, but then I think they changed pretty much the entire team at half-time. For they did. Academy. uh, By the goalkeeper, who was changed then on uh, the hour mark there, thereabouts. So, I mean, there are some names, you know, that we we don't see anywhere really near the first team at all. 
um, in the no. substitutes that Arsenal use. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you think anything? Do you care? Is it just really a training exercise? I, I really think it is just a training exercise. I mean, you know, particularly in these behind closed doors games, the players know mm. that it's a training exercise and the adrenaline that you would associate with any sort of competitive game isn't going to be there. Mm. Um, I think the players travel to Dubai tomorrow. It's certainly in the next couple of days. Um, mm. And this will be the bulk of that group. Emil Smith-Rowe is set to join them as well. Um, but this is the very start of their preparations. I mean, they've been back in training, I think, for a few days only. So, no, I don't think we can read too much into this result but it is you know it's a it's a decent group that will be taken away to Dubai guys who you know people like uh, Gabrielle and Tierney and Odegaard they've played plenty of minutes and made big contributions Eddie Nketiah uh, another one I guess people will be keeping a close eye on how sharp he looks in this period mm. especially given the news this morning about Gabriel Jesus mm. yes the Gabriel Jesus news when I was reminded of this little uh, clip from the Simpsons actually when I heard it would you say it's time for our viewers to crack each other's heads open and feast on the goo inside yes I would Ken <laughs> yes I would uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to be worried, isn't it? Um, I, I did notice as well there's no Zinchenko in the uh, friendly game either. Ooh, sorry, that was just me watching the USA force the Netherlands goalkeeper into a good save. Yeah, no Zinchenko in that, but obviously the Gabriel Jesus news is pretty worrying, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. A shame as well for him, mm. um, for his tournament. We discussed, didn't we, last week that... Uh, the ver or maybe it was the week before the various tournament scenarios for Jesus and uh, not scoring and being injured was I don't think one of the ones we opted no. for. Um, yeah, he seemed to pick up an injury fairly early on in the Brazil game against Cameroon the other night. Mm. Played on to about the hour mark and came off. Subsequent tests have shown his tournament is over. There are some initial tentative reports of a month long absence, but. From what we hear, there need to be more tests, really, before any kind of definite uh, duration yeah. can be put against it. Mm. Not good news. It's not good news. No, and I, I feel like, you know, from his perspective as well, having done so well, like I do wonder if, if he'd scored a few goals, a few more goals this season, right? Like there's nobody outside of you know, or inside the world of Arsenal fans who would say anything other than Gabriel Jesus has been fantastic. He's been just so good for us. Whether he scores or he doesn't score, he is a really important player. I think you would say he is the very essence of a spinal player, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you think about the Arsenal spine and, and everything else, he is definitely one of those. Um, I wonder if he had scored at like another three or four goals and maybe another three or four goals in the last few weeks before this. Oh, sorry. That's another USA guy going on a run into the box. I'm going to make all kinds of strange ex uh, exclamations as we're recording, but you know, would he have been more um, in line for a starting place for Brazil, you know? And if not, you know, what What kind of an impact is this tournament going to have on him? Because he's gone into it maybe hoping that he might be, you know, in the first team. He's not. Um, he's got a chance against uh, Cameroon. 
didn't play that well as far as I'm aware. I didn't see that game at all. But, you know, like you say, picked up a knock, was taken off after an hour mark. I think there's a fair bit of criticism within Brazil for him. I don't quite understand why. But do you think this tournament, given what happened in the previous tournament and his desire to make up for it this time around, I mean, do you have any concerns that, you know, we talked about, Mertesacker and Ozil coming back after being World Cup winners and finding their motivation, you know, a little bit hard. Do you think mm. that he might be negatively impacted by this World Cup and and what's what's transpired? Even if you know, he he might say, okay, well, I didn't have the injury, I didn't have a chance to properly show what I could do. Um, I, do you have any concerns in that regard? Possibly. I mean, he's a very driven guy, and I think. You know, if you were looking for a positive spin here, you know, the motivation for him to come back from this, you know, will be substantial and he, he'll feel he has a real point to prove. 2-0, <gasps> Netherlands. Uh, sorry to our Americans. I mean, they already know the result at this point. Yeah. Um, they may well be laughing, at thinking about the extraordinary comeback they made. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, yeah, Daily Blind. Um, another goal where just the USA defence has caught a bit flat-footed um anyway sorry go on um anything matt turner could do no not for either goal i don't think like matt turner did the classic goalkeeper oh, for fuck's sake what were you guys doing gesture after the ball hit the back of the net there so yeah. good see he's picked that up from aaron ramsdale in his brief time at arsenal yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, passing on how it's done well that and you know distribution from the back yeah um, that's true actually yeah um Anyway, uh, I don't massively worry about the mental impact. I worry much more about the physical one mm. at this point in time, maybe because that's more tangible, more real, but um, more easy to get a grip on. You know, to lose him, you know, even if it is just a few weeks, Arsenal play uh, on Boxing Day on the 26th. We're speaking on the 3rd. You'd have to think, you know, he's a considerable doubt for that game. Uh, then they got games against Brighton and Newcastle pretty mm. much within a week. North London derby mid January. Mm. Then there's Man a big United. run of games in that period. You know, yeah. Spurs. It's Newcastle, Spurs, and United in the space of three weeks between January third and twenty second. <sighs> we really need Gabriel Jesus for those matches. Mm. I think. They did say in the the report I read from the Brazilian uh, paper, I think it was Globo, uh, I think that's the name of it anyway, but they were talking about him having that knee problem or that pain in his knee, you know, while he was playing for Arsenal. So I don't know that the mm. the injury was caused by the knock that he took in the game against Cameroon, but maybe it made it a bit more painful. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, aggravated it, I think. Mm. Um, Juninho, uh, formerly of, of Middlesbrough fame, yeah. is the Brazil team coordinator. He's basically got Edu's old job. And apparently he's talking with Arsenal about the prospect of uh, whether Jesus returns to London or if he stays in Doha with the squad yeah. uh, and undergoes treatment there. I mean, in some respects for his morale, uh, if Arsenal have confidence in Brazilian medics and physios, and to be fair, Edu's extremely well connected with that setup, yeah. I can see the merit in keeping him out there. Um, I just think it must be very dispiriting for a player 
Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? it? Yeah, but it's a weird one as well because, you know, you come home from the tournament and and you're watching from afar. But if you're there and you can't play, that must also be super frustrating. True. Unless you're, you know, I think the one thing you would say about Gabriel Jesus, well, there's many things you could say about him, but what I would say from the few months that we have known him well is that he is obviously very much a team player. Mm -hmm. Like he's not at all selfish, I don't think. So maybe a guy with that kind of personality, a guy with that kind of outlook is capable of, you know, being part of the squad, being supportive, you know, doing what he can for his teammates uh, within the context of the tournament. And that might be a good thing for him, assuming that, the injury he has doesn't require more specialist care than he can get at the at the World Cup, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I guess, you know, the scans that are happening at the moment will probably determine that. Um, but if imagine if, say, Brazil go on and win this tournament, and mm. I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility. With no, the, no, certainly very possible. Yeah. The amount of talent they've got. I just kind of fear that if he does leave the group and does return to London and, you know, he, he could have been on there on on the pitch at the final, lifting the trophy, I think that might be a sort of psychologically, that would be a a substantial blow. Even Mm. if he hasn't played his part beyond the group stages, he has contributed to three games thus far and he deserves to be, you know, there if if they eventually do get medals. Yeah. Did you watch the Brazil game the other night? Because I believe... I I watched the majority of it, yeah. I believe Martinelli Martinelli was very good, yeah. Yeah, he did. He, He was quite unlucky not to score... He had a header in the first half where he made good contact with it. The keeper was kind of the right height for him. Made a good save, he'll, yeah. He'll, yeah, I think he probably feel he maybe should have scored that one. There was one in the second half as well where he whipped in a shot. Um, another decent save. But he was dangerous. Uh, I think his performance was one that could get him some more game time in the tournament mm. because he looked a real threat. Um so yeah, he he did well, and then, and then I, I guess while we're talking about Gabriel Jesus going home, we should probably mention Ben White, who has had to leave the England setup. Um, mm. Slightly different situation, maybe in that he was a player who hadn't played a minute and, and didn't look particularly likely to the way it was going for him. But yeah, our thoughts are with him. I don't know uh, the precise details of that situation, but personal reasons were cited. So. Let's just hope it's nothing too serious. Yeah. For you to leave a World Cup, you fear it probably is fairly serious. Yeah, I think from from the the way that Arsenal worded their message on Twitter was something like, we're all with you, Ben, something like yeah. that. It does make you feel like something has happened and, you know, fingers crossed it's it's not too serious. But, you know, to leave a World Cup is obviously a big deal for a player whether or not he's with the squad that go to Dubai. I think they're going tomorrow, maybe, or Monday. I'm not sure, but mm. we'll have to wait and see if he's involved in that or if he joins up at uh, at, a, at a later date. Um, I but- imagine he'll get some time off. Like, I imagine all the players who've been at the World Cup will get some period of respite. And uh, But, yeah, perhaps he perhaps he would join the sort of second half of that Dubai training camp. It really just depends, doesn't it, what's going on in his that, that's a weird one as well, though, isn't it? You know, to give players a bit of time off. I mean, do you give players time off? Because <laughs> can you, you? Can you? Like, 
the World Cup final is what? The week before the Premier League returns, right? Yeah. Let's just say England or Switzerland or Let's say, Brazil. yeah, England. I mean, I don't think it's particularly likely, but let's imagine. Yeah. So England get to a World Cup final. Arsenal play West Ham on the 26th. Do you give Bakayo Saka two weeks off? Can you give Bakayo Saka two weeks off when, you know, as you pointed out, when you when we return from the World Cup, it's West Ham, then it's Brighton away, then it's Newcastle at home, there's an FA Cup game, then it's Tottenham away and Manchester United at home. Like I, I don't think these you can I don't think it's not yeah. I mean I think when it's the summer you know, and there is a bit of like, okay, you can catch up on your preseason, then, okay, we can give you a, a couple of weeks off. You need a couple of weeks off because you've been playing all season. Then you've had little or no rest during the summer. So it's important that we actually give you some rest. But this thing coming mid-season, I just wonder if players are going to come back from the World Cup and they're going to go straight back into action for their clubs. Like, do you think that's a discussion that's happened before the tournament, like between, you know, the manager and the players and the coaching staff, the medical staff, all those kinds of things. Like what is the best thing for these guys? Like if you, if you allow them to stop at this point, do you then have to play catch up? up Yeah. It's a really tricky one. And it's actually sort of, I guess it's made worse by the fact that there is that third, fourth place playoff. So there will be four international squads, Mm in Qatar until that final weekend. Um, I mean, I, I guess the reality is, you know, we're at the round of 16 now, the quarterfinals are next weekend on the 9th and 10th. So any teams that go out in the quarterfinals, I'm looking at you, England, mm. uh, feels plausible. You know, that will be at the latest, the 10th. So you could give those players a week of rest while while the uh, first team were with, are in Dubai, you could then bring them back and they'd have another week before the West Ham game. Mm. So I think anyone who goes out the quarterfinal stage has got a pretty decent chance of being available for selection against West Ham. I think if you're in that final weekend, the third, fourth playoff and the final, it's very tight, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's the third, fourth place playoff at the World Cup. Is it the most pointless game of football of all time? It is. I think in this year of all years, it's extraordinarily pointless. Um, I mean, but even in general, like, you know, nobody, you go to a World Cup and you want to win it. Obviously, everybody wants to win, right? Yeah. But nobody gives a single solitary fuck about who finishes third and who finishes fourth. And I think that goes for players more than any football fan in the entire world. Who finished third in the World Cup last time? Do you do you know? Uh, no. I'm get, uh, was it uh, Belgium? Uh, maybe. In fact, it because uh, England were in it, weren't they? The third, fourth playoff. Was um, it against Belgium? Yeah, I think Belgium won it, didn't they? Right. And who finished uh, third, the one before, the one before? Uh, like, yeah, nobody It knows. really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And it's almost insulting to 
Like, if you present the World Cup as this thing that is the pinnacle of the game, certainly the, pin- the pinnacle of the international game, and you tell them this is the biggest tournament of your life, this is the biggest tournament, you know, in the world, it's all about winning, it's all about the trophy. Like, the final, obviously, is hugely contested, but third or fourth place, to make players play that game, I think is, I think it's just fucking bullshit. Do you know the only one I remember with any kind of clarity was 1998, I remember Croatia finishing third. Um, How do you remember that? Given just, everything that happened in that, like, that I know, I know, I can't final. really explain it. I think maybe it's because it was the game where Davos Suker won the golden boot and then a year or so later he turned up at Arsenal. So maybe, like, you know, it stayed in my memory for that reason. But That's and also be just they, they had a kind of romantic run to that point. Mm. Um, so I think they took that game pretty seriously. But by and large, it's completely pointless. So, yeah, I mean, look, maybe I'm wrong and maybe they'll bring players straight back and be like, you know, in the case, in the case of someone like Aaron Ramsdale, say, who mm. is with England, they might be like, sure, you've been training, but you haven't been playing. Um, we're going to call you straight back in. Mm. I just think... Yeah, I mean, that's I it. Know, like, Ramsdale has to start, doesn't he? Yeah. Anything. Ramsdale like, has to come back in and straight away and start, even if England get to the World Cup final. Like, next week, Ramsdale is going to be playing against West Ham. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the reality of this mid-season World Cup. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a really curious one. But if England gets to the semi-finals, mm. I think they'll give Bukayo Saka at least a week off. I just think they... I just think they'll feel that they need well, maybe to. Well, maybe it'll depend on how much he plays. Yeah, I mean, it might be a case-by-case. Case. Um, but hmm. it's... it's uh, Yeah, I mean, that's one of the issues. I mean, that first weekend of fixtures... Bear in mind, there, you know, we're out of the League Cup, but there are League Cup games before that West Ham game. What are those teams going to look like? Wow. Well, yeah, yeah we're not in it, so... Not our problem. Not our fucking problem. But it would be a problem if we were. Yeah. But we're very much not. <laughs> certainly not. We um, absolutely are not. So, yeah. So, I mean, other than that, well, I mean, the World Cup results have been very... Um, what's the word? Uh, there have been a few upsets, haven't there? And some pretty dramatic outcomes. Yeah. I mean, I want to give some props to Japan here because... Yeah. Not just because we have a vested interest in Takahiro Tomiyasu and everything else. Um, Arsenal legend Takuma Asano, do, uh, Asano doing his business in the in the first game. Um, but, you know, I think one of the great things about football, right, is that we as guys who talk on a podcast and people who listen to this and people who talk with their mates, we all think we know something about the game, right? Mm. We all think we... I think we do. You know, we know something about the game. We have a certain amount of knowledge. There are certain things that you could probably say, well, I can predict this or I can predict that. And maybe a lot of the time that comes true because there are probably some safe predictions out there. But if I were to say to you, if I had said to you before the group stage of this World Cup kicked off and I said to you, James, here's what's going to happen. Germany are going to be 1-0 up on Japan at halftime in the first game. But Japan are going to turn it around 
and beat them 2-1. On its own, not necessarily a ridiculous proposition, right? No. But then I continue and I say, well, what's going to happen next is Costa Rica, who were beaten 7-0 by Spain in their first game and looked like a pub team, are going to beat Japan. And then Japan in their third game are going to be 1-0 down to Spain at halftime. And once again, they're going to turn it around and win 2-1 to top the group. You would say, stop talking to me, please, for a while. I don't want to hear from you again for a little while because you're, you're insane. You're a troubled man. You have problems in your brain. And I thought I could help you fix them, but I can't. Alas, you are beyond help. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that's that true. the beauty of football and the beauty of um, what this game can give us is completely evident in, in quite a lot of these World Cup games. Um, not just that, but I think Japan, to do what they did in that group, is just outstanding. And what a what a remarkable, contentious just crazy bit of football nonsense that was with the ball that went out of play but didn't go out of play and, and all the rest of it. How would you have felt if Arsenal had conceded that goal? Well, I mean, aren't they all different sort of, uh, not conspiracy theories, but, <laughs> you know, there are people who say if you look at it from this angle, it's not over, blah, it, you know, blah, 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 blah. But yes, it's, um, you'd, you'd feel aggrieved for sure. But it was great. And uh, Tommy Asu came off the bench, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he did. Came right off the bench and did did really well, you know, because it was, it was another one of those games with a, a fair chunk of injury time. And, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I think they deserve a lot of props. He's obviously, he spoke about it afterwards and said, he spoke about it like it was sort of good minutes in the bank for him. So yeah, clearly yeah, yeah. there's an ongoing fitness situation there. I think um, so. I mean, he's he's generally a starter when he's 100% fit. Um, and he hasn't been starting, so I'm assuming he's not been a 100% fit. But the other thing I would say is that, like, the, I think the whether the ball was in or out, whether it was fractionally in or fractionally out, and I guess your mileage will vary on this depending on your allegiance. I can't imagine there are too many German Arsenal fans listening to this right now who want to hear that it might have been in or whatever. But I think the way he chopped that ball back between the defender and the the post was unbelievable. True. It True. really was unbelievable. Yeah. Um just a beautiful bit of a beautiful bit of skill. Like I know you don't have too many options actually when when you're desperately trying to keep the ball in, but the precision of that was was really something else. Um and like there are some teams to enjoy in this, but man, imagine if Japan won, won the World Cup. That'd be great. I'd oh. love that. I and know you are, wouldn't. They but, are you a know. good team to watch. You know? mm. um, they've got some good players in there. Um, representing Asia in style, as are South Korea. So there you go. They are through. Uh, South Korea, of course, at the expense of, of Uruguay. I've got some, I've got a question about Uruguay, so I'll okay. save that, yeah, for, that for part two. Um, oh, 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 oh. Netherlands have just sort of blown a bit of an opportunity there to make it 3-0. Um, doesn't look good for the US. It doesn't. They're going to need 
to find some goals from somewhere. They did bring on uh, Gio Reynas uh, at halftime, so um, we'll see. Ooh, here's a guy. He's going... Oh, no, tackled. It's corner. Um, what was I going to say to you? There was another couple of things that we should talk about, I suppose. And here's a question, actually, from the Discord... Uh, it comes from J underscore what 17 who, who said, before the World Cup started, if you had to pick one Arsenal player to go home after the group stages, who would it have been? He says, Thomas Partey being the only player going home would certainly have been my pick. Um, and, you know, to any fans of Ghana who are listening, this is a purely selfish Arsenal perspective. It's not about whether, oh, off the line. From the, from the US, Netherlands cleared it off the line. Um, it's not about like uh, Ghana per se. It's more about like Partey and his injury record and everything else. Yes. I mean, look, there are two other players pot- potentially going home. Ben White's gone home, mm. Gabriel Jesus. They're not in the circumstances we would like. But in terms of being knocked out, yeah, I think Ghana would have been high on everyone's list. And um, I wanted them to go through and get the ultimate redemption against Suarez and against Uruguay. Mm. I was at the ill-fated encounter between these two teams before with the Suarez handball um, on the line. Mm. I, was, I was behind that very goal. Wow. Samoa Jan skied that penalty. Um, certainly did. So, you know, I, I wanted justice done. But um, I think for Arsenal, it's a very good thing that Thomas Partey has, uh, uh, is now, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Probably on holiday. I would think. Um, Thomas Partey. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they go home. I guess they have to go back to to Ghana and regroup and, and everything else. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I presume he will then meet up with the squad in... Uh, oh, Matt Turner just made a good save. Stopped it being 3-0. Bit of a wibbly-wobbly save, but... A good one all the same. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll obviously hook up with the, the squad in Dubai. Um, what do you think of the the game against Juventus? Do you think there's any doubt about that game, given what's given what's been going on with them and their the investigation? Yeah. I, it's interesting. I mean, there was a lot of talk about us having a Spanish opponent for this friendly. Mm. Um, and I'd heard that there were some talks with Barcelona about potentially arranging a game. Um, See, we could, we could potentially face Barcelona in the, in the Europa League. Yes, I suppose so. Should they beat Manchester United? So maybe uh, best avoided mm. for now. I, I, I think the game will go ahead. I mean, Arsenal, you know, the tickets are on sale. I noticed today they've gone on to general sale. So if you're not a member but you want to see Arsenal play Juventus uh, just before Christmas, get yourself down there. Mm. But it will be a strange one because I think so many players will still be absent, most likely, yeah. from both squads. Hmm. Well, we'll wait and see, I think. Um, we do have a question here uh, about another Arsenal midfielder who is, is going through. Yes. Good evening, gents. After watching the scenes from Serbia versus Switzerland, says Castle on the Discord, does it seem like Granit Xhaka has finally mastered the dark arts of getting under your opponent's skin without getting sent off? <laughs> yeah, well, we saw a bit of it, didn't we, uh, in the Premier League 
before uh, we broke up mm. on this kind of Christmas holiday. Um, and he was in his element, shall we say, against mm. Serbia. Uh, I, I don't know if this can be filed under quite the same category of sort of intelligent shithousery. I think he was very, very fired up. <laughs> you think? Uh, you think? <laughs> yeah. And I think it, you know, I think he trod a very fine line um, in this game. But I think he was named man of the match um, officially by FIFA and had a good game. But yeah, some very funny images of him taunting the Serbian bench by, I mean, there's no other way to say it, grabbing his balls. Yep. Grabbing his balls, and it did seem to send them into a significant fury, didn't it? Um, but well, I mean, there, there are some, there are some. Um, yeah, there's history. We know there's history. There's political history, and um, there's political history, and there's some personal history. Mm. It seemed, if reports are to be believed, um, between the two camps, McKinney just shot over the bar from the edge of the box. He should have done better with that. Good move from the US, actually, down the left-hand side. Sounds like they're making a go. They are having a go, to be fair. They're leaving themselves a little bit open. But, you know, when you're 2-0 down in the World Cup knockout stages, what can you do? You have to have a go. So, um, yep, let's see. Uh, 53 minutes gone in that game at the time of recording. But, you know, I enjoyed that bit at the end of the game where he was pushed over by or pushed backwards by... What's his name? Milinkovic, I think it was. And the Serbian goalkeeper is a giant of a man. Mm. Like, he really is. And, like, did you see the fact that he grabbed Xhaka around the neck with his... Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, there's a... I must see if I can find the picture and I'll send it to you. But he has him around the neck. And you remember when Xhaka got sent off against Burnley? Yeah. Do you remember that one? It was exactly the same as that, where he sort of grabbed him. Like, it's not like he sort of started to throttle him, um, you know, and his face is going blue or anything like that. It's just one of those where he just sort of grabbed him around the neck. Um, and, you know, VAR obviously decided that there was nothing doing in that regard. But um, I, I kind of like the way that Xhaka mostly kept his cool in that regard, because I think initially he was a bit like, hey, hang on a second, this is how I react when shit like this goes down. But then he just sort of he just sort of stood back a bit and let the Serbian guys go crazy. And I think he enjoyed it. I think he enjoyed himself in that game. You know, obviously when Shakiri scores a goal and, you know, you have the history he has to win that game on its own merits is a big thing, isn't it? Because, you know, you're going through then to the to the knockout stages of the World Cup. But you know, the the extra spice yeah. from all of that, that just gives you that little bit of extra, doesn't it? Yeah, and there were some good scenes at full time. Sort of Shaka pulled all the Swiss team over into a huddle and they were giving it all the, you know, mm. very serious focus thing. And then the camera cut away for a moment. And then the camera cut back and they were all just going absolutely mental. <laughs> so they, they, like, they, they all got together for a chat. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Focus, yeah, yeah. focus, this focus. Is very good. And, and then they like, just yeah. lost their minds. It's like, fuck you. Yeah, we won. honestly, it was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and who can blame them? So, yeah, that's, I mean, that was a tough group uh, to get sure. out of, I think. And they did well. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, there were some good goals in that game as well. Yeah. Like the Mitrovic header is just... I know that's very Mitrovic, but it's still such a. I mean, he's such really, a fantastic really good skill. At that. 
Yeah, thing. it is. He is, isn't he? Like he's just got this. I suppose when you've got a neck that is the size of a fucking bull's shoulders, you're able to get significant power into into your headers that maybe other players don't quite manage. By the way, on the subject of headed goals, we, we mentioned the Brazil Cameroon game. What did you make of uh, Abu Bakar <laughs> scoring and immediately being sent off for his celebration? <laughs> I mean, there's part of me that goes, you know what, this is, the, I mean, it's just, come on, you don't need to do that. But then the, the other part of me knows, like all the players know, all the players know, like you take your shirt off, you're getting a yellow card. So it's not like anyone can say, oh, I'm surprised by this. What I did like, I have to say, was the way that the referee handled it. Did you see that? Yeah. I thought that was really great. He gave and him a smile. He gave him a high five. Gave him a high five. It was like, look, you know, you've left me no choice here. Here's your second yellow. There's your red. Godspeed. Away you go. And all the rest of it. I thought that was really quite a nice moment um, considering, you know, there are other referees out there who would have done that with a flourish. You know the yeah. kind I mean. They would have, like, made it a bit about themselves. And I think as well, you know, the way that the referee, let's say at the end of the Uruguay game, the sort of abuse that he was subjected to from the Uruguay players, and maybe we'll come to this um, in the second half of the show when we've got a question about it. You know, it's... It, it's in stark contrast to that. Like, I get that emotions run high and all the rest of it, but I thought that was really just quite a very funny moment, no? I think so. And I think, uh, you know, one day Abu Bakar will be telling his grandchildren about the winning goal he scored against Brazil in a mm. World Cup, and I think the red card will, will fade with time. I think so. It was a good goal as well. I really like that header as well, near post yeah, and everything else. great header. Really good. Um, well, let's, should we move on to part two? And we can, we can get to the, the meat of the, the Luis Suarez sure, discussion. Sure, why not? Let's take a break here. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog uh, Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And if you'd like to sign up, you can do so to get all the extra content, support everything we do on the site for just a five or a month. It's patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. Um, 
while we were talking there, James, in the break, uh, you know, the mythical break, people love yeah. to know what happens in the break. Matt Turner made another good save for the USA. And I feel like, you know, even if this game looks like it's getting away from them, it feels like he is somebody who has enhanced his reputation during this tournament. We haven't really spoken a lot about him, but he's had a good he's had a good time in Qatar. Yeah, he has. I think he's had a good tournament and I think it will be a real lift to him. Mm. And, you know, theoretically, there are games for him. Uh, you know, there's the FA Cup, which starts. Mm -hmm. um, Arsenal go to Oxford on a Monday night. Oh, fucking Monday night. I know, unbelievable. Um, and then it will be really interesting... Really, really interesting to see what happens with the Europa League, I think, when that resumes. And well, when Arsenal's involvement in it, resumes, yeah. should we say, in the spring. You know, will Arteta stick with Turner or will he opt for Ramsdale? Um, I think he's got to go with Ramsdale. I'm sorry for Matt Turner and Matt Turner fans, but he is the number two goalkeeper. And the Europa League is, you know, it's a high-priority competition for Arsenal this season. Um, yeah. I, I, I would be, I'd be inclined to agree. You know, I think a goalkeeper can play all those games without set the, some of the same physical repercussions or mm. risks for an outfielder. Um, and I think, yeah, well, I think we should be picking our best team as we get into the knockout stages of that competition. Yeah, uh, which, which does make life tricky for turn. I mean, that is the, the hard, the awkward thing about that second choice goalkeeper role. You know, you want someone who is good enough to push and challenge your number one, but they're probably not going to play enough games to keep them entirely happy. And that's yeah. always the difficult balance to strike. And it probably means you get quite a lot of turnover in that position. You know, it might be that you sign a guy, mm. he does a good job for a few years and then he feels, ah, I need to play. I want to go and play. Um, and then you've got to find somebody else. Um, and then, you know, that's the way that, that, part of the market often operates. But Turner's had a good tournament, no doubt about it, whatever yeah. happens today with America. Well, let me ask you a question here um, from the Discord, from jmart91, who says, who has been your favourite player to watch at this World Cup so far? Uh, of, of any player? Mm. Anyone? That is a good question, you know. Um, who have I really enjoyed watching? Uh, I've really, really, really enjoyed what I've seen of Pedri, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, he's absolute quality, isn't he? It's unbelievable. It really is. Um, the the sort of composure and the the technical quality, the awareness that he has at his age is, you know, it's unbelievable. It really is. He's 20, and I think Gavi as well has been has been great. Um, it, it's kind of maddening and insane, really, that Spain could have that period of such dominance based on Xavi and Iniesta, and then they, you know, move aside and you think, well, it's going to be difficult for them to recover from that. Within a few years, they produce two players, the quality of Pedri and Gavi. I mean, yeah. wow. They're, yeah, they are both uh, extraordinary. So Pedri would be right up there for me. There was a tweet um, doing the rounds. Did you see that? It was retweeted like over a couple of days. I can't remember who it was from, so apologies. It was like, oh, look at us. We're Spain. 
we just lost two of the greatest technical midfielders in the world and we just replaced them with like, you know, with these kids. Like, and it's just, just absolute bullshit that they're, <laughs> they're able to do it. I must look that up. But um, uh, I, I, what, what else I'm trying to think? Listen, I really enjoyed uh, the Ghana uh, winger. Is his name? He plays for Ajax. Um, Kudus? 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was, he's been good. I liked him as well. I think he is a really exciting take player, Mohamed Kudus, and you know, twenty-two years old, world its feet. Really, I mean, the problem with any player plays for Ajax is that they've just sold Anthony for a bajillion pounds. Mm. Um, I mean, that more and more that looks like an amazing deal for Ajax. Yeah, they did extraordinarily <laughs> well there. Um, but I think he's a, a big talent, and you know, with Arsenal potentially looking at wide players. That is a name I think should be on their radar and on their list. I think mm. it's really, really exciting. Um, I'm very, so, I'm very sorry that um, Ghana didn't play the host nation in this tournament because um, you know their goalkeeper. We could have had a lot of uh, Ziggy play Qatar um, headlines. That would have been good. I, I have really enjoyed Wojciech Chesney. Oh man, when he saved that messy penalty. Wow. Yeah. What did that, you think of that? That was important. That? You know, the goal difference mattered ultimately in that group. Yeah. The, the goal difference mattered to the extent that um, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. So I will ask you what you thought of the, 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 the award of that penalty in the first place, because I thought it was extremely generous. And I've also heard a lot of people say, well, it's pretty obviously a penalty because he catches him in the face with his glove. I I think it's harsh. That, mm. For me personally, my sort of football ethics, I was like, that's not a penalty. You um, can't do that. What, what did you think? I thought it was really harsh, you know. Yeah. But I, I, I sort of see, like, technically, yes, he brushed him on the face with the finger, with the little bits of the top of his glove or whatever. But I also think Messi made a complete meal of it, so... I really liked, though, I was watching that live, and after the penalty was awarded, the speed with which Chesney focused up, like there was a moment where one of his defenders, like Karen, talked to him, and he sort of just pushed them away because he was like, I just need to think about mm. this that I'm about to do right now. Did you see um, him say that, like, he talked to Messi and he said, basically said to Messi, I bet you 100 euros they won't give this. Like before the referee went over to VAR. <laughs> <laughs> and really? he bet Messi 100 euros that, that they wouldn't give it. And then they gave it. And then he said, I'm not going to pay him anyway. He's got enough money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great save. And it's a bit of a kind of a redemption of, in some ways for Chesney. I had a, a good message on Twitter about this. Mm. Um, I think it was from Richard Daniels. Uh, and he spoke about how Chesney's not had great luck in tournaments down the years. He was sent off in the first game of Euro 2012, which was hosted by Poland. He mm. was injured for World Cup 2014, dropped in Euro 2016, had a poor World Cup 2018 and scored an own goal in Euro 2020. So, Yeek. yeah, for yeah. him to have these big... <laughs> it was two penalty saves so far, isn't it, um, in the tournament. Uh yeah, it's been a long time coming, and I'm I'm pleased for him to be getting that recognition. 
Uh, and Poland play. Uh, who've they got? Somebody difficult. <laughs> uh, France. They're playing France, France yeah. tomorrow. France at three o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, so they were will... very bad against Argentina. Yeah. They exactly. were extraordinarily bad. They were pretty negative, weren't they? So, yeah. I mean, on the subject of individual players, mm-hmm. uh, I've got no real soft spot for Argentina, but, you know, there is something sort of poignant about watching Messi in what's almost certainly his last World Cup. Sure. And his kind of personal crusade to win the World Cup before retirement. And he has delivered... uh, Oh, 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 oh! Matt Turner again just made... I just turned to the the stream here and I saw like a, a Netherlands player basically with just Matt Turner to beat, Matt Turner stuck out a hand or a knee or something and stopped it being 3-0. Wow. I, wow. Well, I don't know if they hit the post or if he made a save before that. Um, oh, well, and he's, he's out again to smother at the feet of the attacker. Wow. He's the modern sweeper-keeper now. He's doing very well, Matt Turner. That's good. Listen, I mean, I do think that some of the Turner analysis has been... Uh, I think I think he's really suffered from the fact that his previous playing experience has only been in MLS, you know? Mm. Um, and understandably, there is a kind of scepticism about that. But his shot-stopping uh, ability oh. is really, really, really strong. It's, it's a double save, James. There's a shot from outside the box that he I've dives just seen it to myself. his right. Yeah, the wow. second save is really good. Yeah. Quick reactions. That's one of those where, you know, the way you see sometimes the training videos of goalkeepers and they're like, they're, they have like um, angled boards or whatever, and they throw the ball down at the board and it sort of spins off a different way and they have to like, you know, stick their hands out or legs out or whatever. That's a save from that kind of training. He's also a very easy guy to root for, like a really lovely guy. And also, a late developer. I mean, I think I'm right saying he only started playing soccer mm. with any degree of seriousness in his mid-teens. Um, you know, came through quite late in the States and mm. only came to Europe now in his sort of mid to late 20s. So it's a steep learning curve he's on. And yeah, I mean, you know, on the evidence of this tournament mm-hmm. seems to be really benefiting him and, and benefiting the US, the experience he's getting in Europe. So, yeah, re- I'm, I'm really happy for him. It's it's hard, you know, second-choice goalkeeper. You don't get that many moments to shine. So, yeah, glad he's taking this one. But, um, fortunately, his teammates still need to do the business at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, you were in the middle um, of a question when I so rudely interrupted you, so I apologise. Oh, just messy, personal crusade. Oh, yeah. I find that quite compelling. And I actually think, you know, looking or listening to uh, reactions about this Netherlands-USA match. I think Argentina, should they win tonight, uh, they play Australia, where they're strong favourites. I think they face the winner of this game. I think that that would be a winnable fixture. So they've got a path into the semis there for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe this could be. Messi's time. And I I don't know many football fans who would begrudge him if it was. Yeah, I mean, it would be a hell of a story. You realise, yeah. of course, you've just completely jinxed uh, Argentina right now. Yeah, and and the Aussies of, will be celebrating all, tonight. <laughs> all of our Australian listeners are going, thank you, James, after their remarkable uh, 1-0 win. Um, to, <laughs> no, for I don't which know, they you had know, to just, stay up uh, till uh, 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning to watch. 
Um, uh, no. Yeah, I, there's something compelling about that, though. 35 year old oh. Messi, last chance saloon. Uh, off, the, off the line from uh, the USA, had you right? Um, I think you're going to tell me Matt Turner scored in a minute, aren't you? I, I, probably. There'll be a, just an outburst from me at some point. Yeah, look. Had you right? You, you rate him, don't you? Oh, Is yeah. he your favourite player you've watched? Um, Messi as a World Cup winner you know as a football romantic would be hard to to not get behind you know I know there are people listening to this who will have a vested interest in their own nation um, going all the way and lifting the tournament so they don't want to see that right now I get that and of course I'm sure there are people who are on the you know the wrong side of the great football debate you know, the Messi or Ronaldo thing. There's, you know, people who are just simply wrong about that because they think it's Ronaldo. Uh, and they wouldn't want to see Messi win the World Cup. But, you know, I would, as a as a neutral, I would have no problem with, with Messi winning the World Cup. <gasps> oh, goal! Goal, 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 goal! Goal USA! Game on. Game fucking on right here. Wow, and that's the first time I've seen a goalkeeper score in this tournament. But what a strike from Matt Turner. <laughs> it's a corner. Netherlands clear it. Comes back in. Ball out to Pulisic. Plays a low cross. Your man Hadji Wright, is it? Oh, my goodness. I don't think, if that's deliberate, then I am an aardvark. I think it just kind of hits his heel and goes in. I'm watching... Oh, he's, he sort of swings a leg out, but I've never seen anybody score a goal like that in my life. Because you know the <laughs> Oh, way- my word. I think we can assume that's not deliberate. Because, you know, you've seen players score goals kind of like that when they do that sort of back flick, you know? Yeah. But he just stuck his toe out. I think it's rolled over his big toe, spun up in the air and into the back of the net. Wow. I mean, I hope he tells everyone he meant it. I, that's a training ground routine we've been working on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Myself and Matt Turner, uh, you know, we, we do that uh, three or four times a session and, uh, you know, it worked out for us in the end. So that makes this an interesting finish. 2-1, it's 76, 77 minutes on the clock. So there you go. Um, I, I mean, along these lines, actually, of this uh, question, um, Chris White on Twitter said, I know it might not be the best time for transfer talk, but is there anyone you've seen play at this World Cup you think could be an interesting option for Arsenal in the future? I think Mohamed Kudus would be would be mine. Yeah. Anyone who's jumped out at you? Um, no. Messi, obviously. Well, no. I, you know, I love him, but no. Um, I think, yeah, that guy Kudus was, was somebody I thought would be quite interesting because of our need as much as anything, you know? Mm. Um, I also thought Gakpo was quite interesting. I know he's a player we've been linked with, but, mm. you know, how strong that interest is, I'm I'm not 100% sure. I think what's been quite interesting about this World Cup is a sort of equalization in the technical level of footballers. Right. You know, that that certainly wasn't always the case. You know, there's always going to be some teams who are minnows, um, relatively speaking. But I do think, in general, the technical level of of players at this World Cup um, has been has been very interesting. But no, I haven't I haven't really been thinking about it in that regard. You know, um, 
I haven't been sort of watching and... You haven't been scouting? Not really, you know, because I do think there's a danger of... How would you put this? The El Haji Jufification of Mm. your transfers. Because he was obviously a player that Liverpool signed based on the excellent World Cup that he had. And he turned out to be very average and a complete prick. So I'm a bit cautious about it from that perspective. Yeah, I, I think in general terms, sometimes sometimes you're really impressed by a nation more so than players. Mm. I think that um, you know, we spoke about the success of Japan, but you know, Tommy Asu's come into Arsenal and and really really impressed. Um, and I do wonder if we might see maybe more Japanese players uh, coming into the Premier League and mm. um, making an impact at higher level in European football. I, I think that, you know, their success in this tournament could be a catalyst for that, uh, you know, happening more broadly in the market. Let me ask. There are countries where Japanese yeah. players, you know, in, there's plenty in Germany. That's and, right. Yeah. Um, you know, Tommy Asu himself played in Belgium, but some other leagues. And Italy. Been, yeah. But some of the leagues have been a little slower uh, to embrace Japanese footballers, but I think there's a lot of talent there. Sure is. Okay, let me ask you this one then. Um, where has it gone? Okay, BF Jesus on Discord says, Goodly morning in this full week of World Cup madness. What has been your favorite moment and why is it Luis Suarez crying? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Uh, as I said, I, I, I was at the infamous Ghana-Uruguay game where he committed the handball. And even beyond that, there are, I would say, countless reasons to dislike Luis Suarez. Mm. Um, and so to see them go out was uh, joyful. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I feel bad, you know, whenever I'm like, I don't really like, I think oh, I was watching it. 3-1. Yeah, just 3-1. Nothing Just, Matt Turner could do about that. Where is the marking? I do not know. Is that Denzel Dumfries? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the back post. Um, that's probably that. For the say SA, that's so. it. Unless Hadji Wright can come up with a goal off his Mickey, like <laughs> William Gallas. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out, given <laughs> the, the last goal he scored. Um Yes, Luis Suarez. Uh, I, and I always feel bad when I there's a nation that I sort of take against. You know, it feels uh, unfair to be like, well, I, I do not like the people of Uruguay. Sure. <laughs> um, and of course, that's not the case. But as a team, I've not ever held any great affection for them. And I have to say, the manner in which they took their elimination uh, made me feel like maybe I had some justification for my position there. I mean, the thing about it is the penalty that Portugal got in their game, which was, Mm. I think, a ludicrous penalty to be given. Yes. Ultimately is what saw Uruguay go out. Without that penalty, they would have gone through, you know, with a 2-0 defeat. So I can understand a certain amount of grievance, but like you, I think the way they reacted and the way they harangued the the officials and the referees was was pretty much out of order. And the other day, um, was it yesterday? I've kind of lost track of football days. It was yesterday, wasn't it? 
Uh, which day? Uruguay, Uruguay, when they got beaten, it was yesterday, right? Today's Saturday. That it game was... was on Friday. Yes. Wow. It does all blur. It was Friday the 2nd, mm. yeah. The reaction from my Twitter timeline, which is basically the people who I follow, was, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I've never seen such a, an outpouring of antipathy and hilarity about somebody else's very obvious misery yeah. in all my life. Like the whole timeline was just like... It was just a gallery of pictures like, of Luis Suarez crying. Luis Suarez crying. Luis Suarez holding his shirt over his head. Luis Suarez taking his shirt down to show that he's been crying some more. You know, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I think it says a lot about how Luis Suarez is regarded among many football fans, you know, and yeah. it's not just Arsenal fans that I follow. I, you know, obviously follow mostly Arsenal fans, but, you know, there are fans of other teams and journalists and people who work, you know, in, in football and everything else. You know, the, the just the sheer volume of like, <laughs> look at this guy. And I think what made it as funny as it was, was the fact that he began almost immediately when news of South Korea's second goal broke. Like, it wasn't an end-of-game reaction, you know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like the game was over and he was upset and he cried and, look, he wouldn't be the first and he won't be the last footballer to shed tears at a result, you know, having invested a lot in a tournament or whatever else it is, right? But it was the fact he was sitting there while the game was going on, just crying because he, he knew that Uruguay didn't have what it, it takes to score a goal. Yeah. And that's just very funny. And, you know, the fact that he'd been brought off, you know, because they, I guess, felt like they were in a safe position. Yeah. Uh, and then he was helpless, stranded on the sidelines. He should be playing Tuesday League Astro, you know. You can do rolling subs. Rolling subs. You can go subs. off was, and come back on That's again. why they were all so angry with yeah. the referee at full time. They're like, don't you know about rolling subs? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past FIFA um, by the mm. time the next World Cup comes around. Listen, the US are headed to defeat it seems today but Devin Holton who's one of our listeners has mm. asked as an American I'm curious what you think the USA's chances are of winning the 2026 tournament uh, are there any he said obviously 2022 is a long shot but are there any players in this USA team you'd love to see in an Arsenal shirt mm. I mean I did like uh, Tyler Adams I thought he was a bit poor for the first uh, Dutch goal today but mm. I think he's had a good tournament he seems like a good player and a good guy can I see the USA winning it in 2026 I mean beyond the magic of Hadji Wright I really do think they're missing a forward I, I said this to you maybe off air you know I think there's plenty in this team plenty in this US team in terms of ability the commitment I think they're very energetic they work really hard but I think they're just missing one or two top class forward players which you need in order to win a World Cup so unless they develop or come through in the the four years between now and 2026 I can't I can't see the US winning it but you know I think where they are now compared to where they were 
you know, not that long ago, they have made real progress. Yeah, I think winning it would be a stretch, but mm. I can see a situation where they're able to, you know, push into the knockout stages, maybe go further than it looks like they will do this time. Mm. But there's not an obvious solution at this point in time to that kind of attacking no. situation. Um, and Freddie Adu will be 37 uh, by the time <laughs> the next World Cup comes around. So <laughs> I think we'll, I better give up my dreams of him ever fulfilling his potential. All right, then Linus Eriksson, who's at limp shit on Twitter. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. Um just conjured up some images I don't really need at this moment. <laughs> so, good afternoon, gents. Since we're in the middle of a World Cup, it would be fun to hear your best World Cup memories. As a Swede born in the 1980s, 1994 will always have a special place in my heart. I'm sorry, Andrew. I tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading Sam Dean on Twitter asking if Hadji Wright meant that goal. And uh, thinking, come on now, Sam D. Sam, come on. Come on, Sam. Um, ask me again. <laughs> he says... Something about Sweden 94. He, well, he said that he is a Swede born in the 1980s. So the 1994 World Cup will always have a special place in his heart. And he was wondering about our own best World Cup memories. Yeah, I mean, so France 98, I even remember who won the third, fourth place player. Yeah. Arsenal won the World Cup, as the headline uh, ran uh, the following day. You know, it was a uh, France squad that included um, Petit and Vieira. Yeah. Gilles Grimondi just missing out on that one. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that was a great tournament and one I remember really fondly. I think the final as well, it, it was dramatic, Zidane sort of cemented his position at the top of the game. Um, there was all the sort of mystery and around Ronaldo. Um, so there's kind of a mythology around that mm. game. So that's right up there. And then in terms of tournament experiences, you know, the ones I attended in South Africa and in Brazil, mm. I really loved and getting to explore those countries as well as go to a bunch of games uh, was just brilliant. And, uh, I, I have earmarked 2026. I like the idea of getting out to, you know, America and Canada and Mexico and trying to see some of those games. Mm. Hopefully, hopefully uh, I can make that happen. Right. What about you? I mean, I, I guess the ones between 82 and 94, uh, not that they were formative, but like 82, I was... 11 um and football in the summer you know you're with your mates and everything else you're just sort of playing football then you go in and watch the games and I remember seeing Northern Ireland beat Spain Jerry Armstrong scoring that one 86 the Mexican World Cup in 86 was brilliant as well because of the time that the games were on it was the summer I think I was 15 at that point and you're you're sort of like sounds a bit weird to say it, but you know, you're, you're the master of your own bedtime, you know, mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. 15, it's not like when you're 10 or 11 and your parents are like, go to bed now. Cause they basically want some time on their own peace and quiet, which, you know, I think many parents will understand, but at 15, you saw the master of your own bedtime. So 
we had like um, two uh, two rooms in the house. One, the front room was like the, the what we call the television room, which is what people were in. And then there was sort of the posh room, the lounge, which mm. um, later changed. But there were there was a little portable TV in there, and we would watch, or I would watch certainly um, the games that were on late because it was Mexico. And the time difference was there and um, just sort of sitting up late at night watching games in, in that one. Um, but I thought that was a, a great World Cup. Um, 1990, Ireland, Italia 90. Ireland got to the quarterfinals, which was amazing. Um, yeah. David O'Leary scoring the the penalty against Romania. I remember the... Oh God, it was, was I doing my exams, like my end of school exams i think i probably was it's called the leaving cert like the equivalent of your a levels yeah and i was doing those in 1990 and i think the ireland romania game which was the first knockout round in the in the world cup coincided with one of the one of the exams okay so i was doing my exam finished the exam and i remember walking from the school where the exams were on to my uncle's house, my dad's brother, my uncle Hugh, because that was closer to uh, to the school. It was about halfway between my house and, and the, the school. So it was like about 10 minute walk from the school up to there. And people were there, like my dad was there and my cousins were there and they're all sitting around watching that game. And I arrived maybe with five minutes of normal time left. And then it went to extra time, obviously went to a penalty shootout. But I remember walking, and there was 28 Days Later. Remember that film? Yeah. That's what the streets of Dublin were like. There was nobody anywhere. You didn't there, – there were no people. There was no traffic. It was just quiet. Everybody was watching the World Cup. Like the, the whole nation. I can't explain how, you know, for a small nation like Ireland – Everybody was invested in it and everybody was watching and nothing was happening while games were on and stuff like that. So I think those are the ones that, that stick with me. USA 94 as well, because Ireland were in it again and Jack Charlton and you remember those. Yeah. Was that Ray Houghton scoring? Yeah. Ray Houghton yeah. scoring against Italy. I think yeah. it was in Giant Stadium, was it? Um, that was an amazing result. Unbelievable yeah. result. Paul McGrath that day was just phenomenal. For a guy whose knees were, you know, basically bollocksed, it was an unbelievable performance. Um, so, yeah, those are the ones, I think. Hmm. Some nice World Cup. Hmm. World Cup shout-outs, World Cup memories. Um, we had a lot of questions about uh, Gabriel Jesus, but we kind of talked about that. Hmm. I mean, I, I was interested in this perspective from Fion, who's at AJ Fion, and they said... Good morning, gents. Do you think the majority of the reaction to Jesus's injury is an overreaction? With Eddie in amongst our first team, I don't think the Jesus injury will affect us too badly. I think that is a a commendably optimistic <laughs> view of of this situation. Sure. Like I'm not as down on Eddie and Kelly as some people, but. I think what Gabriel Jesus has given us this season is is special, you know, 
And I'm not sure that Eddie can give us that. I just don't think he's as rounded a footballer, you know? I think his his game has certainly improved from where it was 18 months ago. I think he can do more outside the box and everything else, but I don't see him as capable of contributing as much as, as Gabriel Jesus. And if I'm wrong, I will eat the humble pie. The whole pie and nothing but the pie. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually think, I don't really doubt that if Eddie starts games, uh, he'll score goals here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? Five in seven starts, I think, uh, in the league uh, towards the end of last season. Yeah. But it's what it's everything else Jesus brings. You know, what he does with the ball, his dribbling ability, the way in which he leads the press, the relentless work rate. Um, it's no insult to Eddie Nketiah to no. suggest that he won't match that. No, I think, you know, we also have to bear in mind that, you know, Gabriel Jesus for the last four years, five years, has been playing regularly for one of the best teams in Europe. Mm-hmm. And he's in an incredibly uh, talented Brazil squad. Yeah. Uh, I think he just has more experience better understanding of the game, better understanding of what Mikel Arteta, for example, wants from a centre forward. I'm I'm not saying that like Arteta can't sit down with Eddie and say, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And he's like, what? I don't mean that. I just think that the experience that he has at 25 years of age with hundreds of first team appearances under his belt gives him a better understanding and makes him a better footballer at this point in his career than, than Eddie is, you know? Uh, so I think the reaction to the Jesus injury, I don't think it's an overreaction. I think there's always been this slight undercurrent or this sense that, you know, we're a bit light at center forward. Uh, Netherlands have won three, one final, final score there. Unlucky USA. Um, so I yeah I don't think it's an overreaction at all. I just I think people are right to be worried when one of your best players gets an injury, it's a worry. And you hope that someone can step up and I hope Eddie can step up and fingers crossed he can do that. But, you know, I'm not going to lie and sit here on this podcast and say I'm not concerned about it because that would be just nonsense. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um I've got one here. Go um on. Let me just ask you this one. Uh, It comes from PJ, who's at Gunner's Reek. And he said, I've been wanting to ask this since I became a fan. I've only been a fan for a year, but I've learned a lot about Arsenal's history. How important do you think it is to know the history of the club when you become a fan? Or does it only matter that you support the club now? Wow, that's a really good question. Mm. Because I think... History plays such a big role in determining the culture of the club and the supporter culture. So I think in order to understand that supporter culture, you probably do need a certain awareness of, you know, the past. Um, I think that must be part of the joy of coming to Arsenal late or coming to Arsenal at any point in life is that there's all that history to unpack and learn Mm. and discover. Um, and we're blessed in that we've got very rich history. Uh, 
Is it important? I think I'm going to say it is important. I'm not saying that you have to have a, a Tim Stillman-esque recall of every Arsenal result since the <laughs> 1930s uh, by any means. I mean, I forget more than I remember. Absolutely. But I do think some sort of contextual knowledge of how the club came to be the club it is today is valuable. Mm. Uh, do you agree? I do agree. I think it's sort of like discovering a an author or a musician or something. And like they release an album that you maybe accidentally or a book that you accidentally pick up and enjoy. And then you go, Ooh, what else? What mm. else have they got? And it's not quite the same because football, you have to live in the moment and football is about the next game, the next game. And we know that, but I think to sort of round out your understanding of the football club that you support to, to get to like, not necessarily relive, but to sort of experience in, in a different way, the successes and the failures, you know, they won't mean as much. I don't think like you can't look back and say, Oh, Arsenal won the league in 98. That was great. They did really well there. The thing about football is you have to, that, that being in the moment is a big part of what makes it as, in, as important as it is to all of us because you you sort of had the highs and the lows. You've got that jeopardy that's involved in a big win or a big defeat, you know? Yeah, if you've lived it, it means yeah. more. But I, sure. I do think it's, I'm not saying it's necessary. You don't have to, but, you know, there is a lot there to to read, to listen to, and all those kinds of things. I think it is, uh, I don't, I just don't understand why you wouldn't be interested in that if you became a supporter of a club, you know. Um, why wouldn't you want to go back and find out who were the best players? What were the big results? What were the big achievements? What were the big successes? You know, why is the club shirt red and white? Why, you know, the, all those kinds of things. I think they're just important. I think there's a treasure trove of, of history there for new Arsenal fans to, to enjoy. So yeah, to yeah. each their own, but I do think it is important, you know, to try and connect with the club on as many levels as you can. Um, and that's certainly one of them. Definitely. I think it really augments the experience. <laughs> and I just think as well, like, um, it provides perspective, that's a, one of the most valuable things about it, actually, is that when you look at the broader history of the club, rather than just sort of the game by game, the day to day, mm. which is very tempting to at times, um, you gain a sense of perspective of, well, clubs go through good times and bad times and mm. peaks and troughs. And we only really talk about the good times uh, predominantly. But, uh, you know, this is a football club that's been around a very long time. Mm -hmm. and, um yeah, there have been stretches of success and there have been other times too. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's a joy to unpack it all. So I don't know if I would ever tell someone it's necessary. I don't know if I would ever say yeah. you can't be a fan if you're not engaged with that aspect. But I would say I think it can only add to your uh, – it can only enrich your journey as well. Mm. I'm just watching some pictures here of the Netherlands team celebrating at the end of the game and uh, thoughts and prayers today are with – Richard Keyes, who uh, obviously shocking images that he is going to find very, very, very difficult to cope with. Triggering, very triggering for him. Indeed. Let's finish on this one. BJ Rogerson. Yes. He says, 
Have you ever grabbed your balls and taunted an opponent, either in life or on the sports field? I don't think I'm a very ball-grabby kind of guy. Right. Um, I can't imagine a scenario where that I would deem that the appropriate gesture. Um, I do it all the time. Do you? Yeah, all the time. Like I go to a restaurant and if the food isn't up to scratch, I'll just sort of go to the kitchen, grab my balls and say, chef, that's bullshit. See, I'm the opposite. I, 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 if anything, I don't want to draw attention to my balls. I'm walking around with them tucked firmly between my legs, trying to avoid that exact situation. No, I've no, but, I would never do that off the pitch. But, you know, I can't say 100% that I haven't done something similar on the pitch. Right. Like, if you're playing, like, I'm not including, like, five aside, right? You know, five aside, the kind of five aside I think we play is sort of generally the same group of guys and the teams get mixed up week by week. Is that kind yeah. of how you play? Yeah, that's yeah. how I would play, yeah. That's how we play. So it's usually competitive but pretty friendly. Like, you're not going to smash your mate who you're going to play with next week into the side of the cage or anything like that. Mm. But when you were playing, let's say, 11-a-side football, competitive football, did you like to get involved in that kind of stuff at all? Oh, yeah. In, in, in serious, that, that, I loved that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I was probably quite a... Uh, Gobby prick? Yeah. Well, <laughs> more, more physical, I think. All right, okay. Level, yeah. yeah, because, you, you, know, you're a, you know, you're a big guy. And I'm not quick or good, so... <laughs> You know, I've got to use what I can. Well, I certainly wasn't quick either. I'm not going to say I wasn't good, but, you know. Sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to downplay that in my own mind. If I say it out loud, maybe it's true. So I don't, want to, I don't want to ruin my memories of my own football career. But, yeah, I always loved a bit of that as well. Loved it when there was like a little center forward or a little fast guy up front who I told you. Maybe I told you this story before. But when we were playing in Spain, when I lived in Spain and we were playing in Spain, there was three of us at the back, a back three. Me, there was a Spanish guy one side of me and a, an English guy. And there was a guy on the other team who, I don't know what happened to him that day, but he lost his reason. And it was a bit competitive and there was a bit of sort of argy-bargy and pushing and shoving and, you know, the usual sort of mouthiness and what have you going in the game. But this guy lost his mind. And we were laughing at him because he was going so crazy, you know? And laughing at him made him even more angry. Right. And he stood there and he pointed at us and he went, Father Mucker, Father Mucker, <laughs> which made us laugh even more. Of course. Because <laughs> being called a Father Mucker was really, really very, very funny. Did he say it by mistake? No, or? he was a Spanish guy, and I think he just mispronounced it. You know, he wanted to call us motherfuckers, and he just mispronounced it as fothermuckers. But that, I can't explain to you just how funny that was, and that made us laugh even more. Especially saying it with absolute seriousness and yeah. conviction. Oh, he was really good. He was really fucking giving it loads on the old fothermucker. And <laughs> they had a corner about two minutes later. 
And as the ball came in, I ended up on my back in the penalty area because he fucking swung and hit me in the side of the head, swung a punch and hit me in the side of the head. Mm. So I'm like, this is pre VAR. Yeah. No VAR at all. I'm lying on the ground going, what the fuck has happened here? I sort of get to my feet and our goalkeeper that day was, um, was a, one of the lads, he used to play in midfield. We didn't have a goalkeeper that day, so he went in goal. But he was the kind of guy who would slide tackle on these hard clay pitches that right. they have in Spain. So he's basically jumped on the back of this guy and is trying to, like, punch the head off him. And, ah, oh, fun times. I miss playing football. Did he get caught for the swung elbow? Uh, I think he got booked maybe but i'm not sure but there was a big investigation afterwards because he then i think he attacked somebody else in the train in the changing rooms afterwards i can't remember but i remember there being a big investigation and i had to sort of provide email evidence to the league and everything else whatever happened to that guy i don't know his name was luis suarez (laughs) (laughs) oh man I wow. really miss playing 11-a-side football. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. The fun we had. Too. I miss it too, even though, uh, yes. It's like, like, don't get me wrong. I don't like being punched in the head. Like I've gone through my entire life avoiding scenarios where people punch me in the head. I think that's a good way to go through your life, right? Boxers, a bit of an exception. MMA, bit of an exception because they choose to be punched in the head. But mm. for the most part, I prefer not to be punched in the head. Okay. I know it's crazy. I know well, it's crazy. guys, get in touch. Do you like being punched in the head? <laughs> Let us know. All right, look, let's go and do this because there's, um, there's another game tonight. We've got to watch... The completely jinxed Argentinians take on Australia. Sorry, Lionel. Wait till he finds out it was you. I know. He's going to be so pissed off. So pissed off. You won't be getting that interview for the Athletic, I don't think. Um, (laughs) Revenge for all those Barcelona (laughs) games back in the Champions League days. Well, that's fair enough. I think think that's fair. If you put it, if you frame it in that context, then I don't think anyone can blame you. All right. Well, look. it's early. Hope you enjoyed the show. We will, of course, um, have bits and pieces for you midweek, of course, on Patreon. If you haven't already listened, by the way, the Arsecast on Friday, uh, far be it for me to sort of recommend something I've or I've done myself, but I think the interview with Miles Coleman, who's the um, writer and producer of FIFA Uncovered, the documentary, is well worth a listen if you haven't had a chance. You don't need to have watch the documentary to listen to the podcast. There's no real spoilers in it. So do check that out. I've heard it's very good, actually. I'm looking forward to it. It is. It is. um, Miles is really excellent. And, you know, he expands on quite a a few of the bits and pieces that are in the the documentary. Um, So, yeah, well worth checking out. Is it going to make me feel better about the World Cup? Or should I wait till after the World Cup to watch it? Uh, I don't think it'll change your opinion on the World Cup itself. Because, I mean, there's a bit about Qatar, but it's not really about... The it's sort more of, about FIFA. It's yeah, it's more about the, the, the sort of the overarching FIFA-ness of FIFA than the sort of, the, yeah, the, the, rather than the sort of the individual um, decisions. There's some talk of a few of them, but it's not really 
going to change how you feel about this World Cup, uh, I don't think. So, yeah, give it a bash. All right. Nice. All right. You guys have a great weekend. Thank you for being here. I'm going to go get a beer given it's Saturday evening. So uh, for now, take it easy and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.